Okay. We heard Patty Mansfield in that video before lunch talk about the expectant faith that they had as college students attending that weekend retreat they were going on when they experienced the Holy Spirit in a very powerful way. And I think that's something we can all ask for at the beginning of this retreat, an expectant faith, which is to say, Lord, I believe, I expect that you are going to show up for me this weekend in a powerful way, in a gentle way, in a beautiful way, in a merciful way. But let's all ask for that gift, that grace, to have a great expectation, not of ourselves necessarily, but of God <laughs> and what he is going to do for you, what God is going to do for you and with you and in you and through you. So Lord, grant us the grace of an expectant faith this weekend. So we are going to journey through the Song of Songs. And again, if you're here uh, for the first time and you didn't catch the other little video that we watched on the Passion Translation of the Bible, which we're using here in this Song of Songs, Dr. Mary Healy, who's a modern-day Catholic theologian who happens to teach at the Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit, explained that the Passion Translation is a, a paraphrase. It's a kind of a paraphrasing of the scriptures to help us better understand the meaning behind some of these rather extravagant Hebrew metaphors. So she encouraged you to look at your Bibles if you brought them and, and the translation that you have. But we're going to be following the, the handouts in your folder, so if you turn, it's on page 8. And there's, there's even a little explanation of the Song of Songs that you can read on your own that leads up to page 8. We'll take one chapter per meditation time. So if you look at, if you, well, you don't have to look at it right now, but we'll do chapter one right now. We'll do chapter two later this afternoon, and then we'll do chapter three tonight. So I, I hope to be able to give you enough to, to chew on. I think there's really more than enough, quite frankly. I, don't, I wouldn't have to say anything if you just were to read through this and prayerfully reflect on it on your own. There's really a lot in each chapter. So I would really encourage you to just let the Lord speak to you and, and really not just speak to you, but even minister to you and to your heart as you receive these words, which are really beautiful. There's certainly a lot of romantic type language 
in this book. So it's the author is King Solomon, at least that's what tradition tells us. And so he's using a lot of romantic language to communicate to us the love of God, the passionate love of God. Simply put. But what's also interesting, when you dive a little more deeply into this Song of Songs, which uh, Hebrew didn't have a comparative or a superlative form. So that's why at Mass, for example, we sing holy, 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 because they didn't have a way of just saying holiest. <laughs> so they didn't have a way of saying holy, holy, or holiest, except by simply repeating the word holy, holy, holy. So this is the song of songs, which is to say the best song ever. <laughs> the most amazing song of all. And so as you look at the text here, the Shulamite, that's you, that's me. So it's the feminine form of Solomon, if you will. So you are the Shulamite, <laughs> the beloved, the beloved. And then the shepherd king would be Jesus. So we're going to understand that those are the two main players, two main actors, if you will. In this book, and then you'll see there's the chorus of friends, which is kind of interesting. But we'll focus on the Shulamite and the Shepherd King. Some of you might have the Bible app on your phone. It just simply has a brown cover on it. It says Holy Bible on the cover of the Bible, and then at least on the iPhone, just in white underneath, it just says Bible. So if you have the, what's the U version? That's what it's called. The U version Bible app. So the U version Bible app also has the Passion Translation. And what's cool about that is that you can click on all of these little notes A lot of little clouds. They're really not footnotes because they're right there in the text, but there's little links to click on throughout the text, which shed light even more on what the author is trying to communicate, what God is trying to communicate. For example, let's dive in here. Verse 2. This is... You and I speaking to Jesus. Let him smother me with kisses. His spirit kiss divine. So that very first verse here. Well, it's the second verse, but it's the first words out of the bride's mouth. We're giving God permission to kiss us, to touch us, to bless us. We're giving God permission to come in. Because as we said this morning, God is always the protagonist. So what we can assume here is that God has already made an advance on the bride. And so in verse 2, she's already giving him permission 
to smother him with kisses. The little note here reads, to enter the doorway of Jesus' heart, we must begin by saying, let him. We only bring him a yielded heart and must let him do the rest. God's loving grace means that he will be enough for us. We can let him be everything to us. We don't begin by doing, but by yielding. Very important note. We don't begin by doing, but by yielding. So as I said, God is taking the initiative. He's the protagonist. And isn't that what happened with Mary? If you think about it, the angel of the Lord declared unto Mary and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. How did that happen? Because she said, let it be done to me according to your word. Let it be done. So she was giving permission to God through Gabriel for God to do in her and with her and through her what he wanted to do. So we have a beautiful model in Mary. In some ways, what comes out here in the song, in some ways, refers to Mary as the new Eve. The new Eve. If Christ is the new Adam, Mary is the new Eve. But in some ways, we're all called to be the bride, even me. <laughs> it's hard for guys to, you know, really get excited about that. I get to be a bride of Christ. Yay. <laughs> kind of weird, but it's a metaphor. The point is, even I have to receive. God wants to give to me first and foremost. He wants to give me life. He wants to be intimate with me. And so I have to give him permission to do that. Because God will never impose his will on you. You might even feel some resistance to this. There might be a part of you that resists giving God permission. That's okay. You might want to pray about that. You might not want to give God permission right now. <laughs> to come and smother you with his kisses. <laughs> That's okay. I'm not saying you have to do that right here, right now. You might be ready to do that. You might not be ready to do that. So God will always respect where you're at, and he's going to meet you where you're at. And if all of this sounds a little bit too much to you, take it slow. Because Jesus is happy to take it slow as well. Smother me with kisses, his spirit kiss divine. And so there's another little note here. This spirit kiss is what made Adam, the man of clay, into a living expression of God. Dust and deity met 
When the maker kissed his spirit wind into Adam, he breathed it into him or kissed it into him. The word of God is the kiss from the mouth of our beloved, breathing upon us the revelation of his love. The Shulamite doesn't ask him for power, position, or promotion, but for a kiss. Intimacy with Jesus Christ is more important than anything else he can give us. So his spirit kiss divine. So more on that later. Because there's a way of conceiving of the Trinity in this way. I drink them in like the sweetest wine. Your presence releases a fragrance so pleasing over and over poured out. For your lovely name is flowing oil. No wonder the brides to be adore you. Draw me into your heart. We will run away together into the king's cloud-filled chamber. There's a reference to the Holy Spirit. The cloud-filled chamber. And don't you have a desire to be drawn Again, God doesn't want to force you. He wants to move you by attraction. He wants to draw you. He wants to woo you. So again, he'll respect your freedom. He won't impose himself on you. But does want to draw you to himself, even as you want to be drawn into his heart where it's safe, respectful, loving. He cradles you in his heart. Remember, it's First Friday today. Sacred Heart of Jesus. So his Sacred Heart is a place where you are cradled, you are comforted, you are consoled, you are affirmed. It's good to get in touch with these desires that we all have for this kind of unconditional love and for these expressions of love that are so tender. I mean, God wants to fulfill these desires that we all have, although sometimes the desires lay dormant. Perhaps you have stifled or repressed some of these desires because they haven't been fulfilled in the past. And you wouldn't even have imagined that God 
would want to interact with you in this way. But he does. That's what's trying to be communicated here. The course of friends says, we will remember your love, rejoicing and delighting in you, celebrating your every kiss as better than wine. No wonder righteousness adores you. Jerusalem maidens, in this twilight darkness, I know I am so unworthy, so in need. So here's a reference to the beginning of our walk with the Lord. Spiritual writers have called this the purgative stage, if you've heard of that. It's the beginning of our walk with the Lord. So these, these first few chapters of the song, well, the first two anyway, refer more to the purgative stage, the beginning of our walk with the Lord. And then we'll get into the illuminative phase or stage. And then finally, the unitive. And it's not that we ever completely leave one behind and then move into the other. And then eventually arrive at this union that doesn't require any more healing or illumination. Because this side of heaven, there's always going to be more room, I think, for healing and maturing. Nevertheless, there's certain characteristics of our interaction, of our relationship with God that would indicate that we're maturing. That we're moving on, growing. So the bride here is recognizing, or at least thinking, that she is so unworthy, so in need. And yet, the shepherd king says, You are so lovely. She responds, I feel as dark and dry as the desert tents of the wandering nomads. And again, yet you are so lovely, like the fine linen tapestry hanging in the holy place. And then the bride, the Shulamite, to her friends, please don't stare in scorn because of my dark and sinful ways. My angry brothers quarreled with me and appointed me guardian of their ministry vineyards, yet I've not tended my vineyard within. Won't you tell me, lover of my soul, where do you feed your flock? Where do you lead your beloved ones to rest in the heat of the day? Why should I be like a veiled woman as I wander among the flocks of your shepherds? So there's some recognition here of her own sinfulness in some way. She recognizes her own irresponsibility. And yet there's a desire to be led, 
to where the shepherd king leads his beloved ones to rest in the heat of the day. Before lunch, we talked about this paradigm here that a lot of us grew up with, having to behave and believe because somebody said so, so that we could belong. More of a performance-based spirituality and a relationship with God that seems quite conditional based on our behavior. And a sign that you might be getting caught up in this is fatigue, exhaustion, exhaustion, frustration. And, and there's a longing for rest. We, we can recognize when we're there, perhaps sometimes too late because we're already exhausted we're already frustrated, stuck. And so there's a longing for rest. There's a longing for peace. Let's go to verse 8. Listen, my radiant one. If you ever lose sight of me, just follow in my footsteps where I lead my lovers. Come with your burdens and cares. Come to the place near the sanctuary of my shepherds. My dearest one, let me tell you how I see you. You are so thrilling to me. To gaze upon you is like looking at one of Pharaoh's finest horses, a strong, regal steed pulling his royal chariot. Your tender cheeks are beautiful. Your earrings and gem-laden necklaces set them ablaze. We will enhance your beauty with golden ornaments studded with silver. We, the Trinity, our little reference there to the Trinity. Let's just back up for a second. Come with your burdens and cares. So God is giving you permission to share with him your burdens, your cares, your worries, anxieties. God is giving you permission to share those things with him. And sometimes you need to give yourself permission then to do those things. You might even write that down sometimes. You know, if, if you struggle with being vulnerable or crying or being needy, you can even write in your journal, in the name of Jesus, I give myself permission to be needy. In the name of Jesus, I give myself permission to ask for help. In the name of Jesus, I give myself permission to take a break, to rest. I know for moms, sometimes it's so hard to do what you're doing right now. So, yay to all of you. <laughs> For some of you, I'm sure it's a big leap of faith to leave husband and kids behind. But that's awesome that you're here, that you did that, because you deserve this. And God wants you to have this. 
God wants to give you this, this break, this opportunity. So again, Jesus is telling you that you are thrilling to him. I'm going to share a definition of joy with you. Because Jesus says in chapter 15, not that he spoke in chapters, but at the Last Supper, it's recorded in chapter 15, 16, and 17. In so many words that Jesus wants his joy to be your joy. Jesus wants his joy to be your joy. And he wants your joy to be complete. What's his joy? To be delighted in by the Father. To be delighted in by the Father. And guess who allows Jesus to receive that delight? The Holy Spirit. They are all united. And so Jesus is wanting to share the Spirit with us so that we may know that He and the Father delight in us. And that allows us to experience joy. I heard a they call them neurotheologians. It's a new word that they're throwing around out there now. Neurotheologians. So these Christians, some of whom are Catholic, who study the brain and, and science and, and who are also profoundly Christian. So one of them is uh, James Wilder is his name. Jim Wilder, if you want to look him up later. But Jim has a great definition of joy. It's very simple. You can memorize it, write it down. But what, what is it that we experience when we experience joy? It's to be, to be in the presence of someone that you know is happy to be with you. To be in the presence of someone that you know that you are experiencing is happy to be with you. That allows you to experience joy. You know, when you hold up a little baby and you look, you know, and it doesn't even understand language, right? But the mirror neurons you may not know what they are, but you've certainly exercised them before, right? But the mirror neurons, so what you're thinking and feeling is communicated to a baby without language, faster than language can possibly communicate, actually. And so the baby is able to perceive that you are happy to be with her. And she lights up. <laughs> so as your eyes are lighting up and you're smiling, the baby's eyes light up and smile. And she, the baby, girl, she experiences joy. And so do you, as mama, right? Because you're happy to be in the presence of your little baby girl, if you have one, or baby boy. And so it's, 
You can kind of see now what happens in the Trinity. Right? The Father delighting in the Son, the Son delighting in the Father, and the Spirit just going back and forth between the two of them in this eternal exchange of delight. Sounds pretty good, huh? (laughs) Heaven will not be boring. In fact, I heard somebody say, I like this definition or description. Heaven will be a perfect balance of play and rest because you can't really appreciate one without the other. So heaven will be a perfect balance of speeding around in a Corvette and laying down on the beach (laughs) with Jesus and all of your best friends. Whatever, however you like to play, however you like to rest, it'll be a perfect balance of play and rest with Jesus and all the angels and saints. Sounds pretty good to me. Count me in. Let's look at verse 12 here. As the king surrounded me at his table, the sweet fragrance of spikenard awakened the night. Awakened the night. The sweet fragrance. A sense. Right? All throughout this book, notice how the senses are described and mentioned. The sweet fragrance of spikenard awakened the night. An experience of Christ and his love awakened in me. My dignity, my true self. Sashay of myrrh is my lover, like a tied up bundle of myrrh. And it says here in, in a note, this tied up bundle of myrrh is an incredible picture of the cross. Myrrh, known as an embalming spice, was always associated with suffering. The suffering love of Jesus would be over the Shulamite's heart for the rest of her days. We have the revelation of our beloved tied onto the cross like a bundle of myrrh resting over my heart. He is like a bouquet of henna blossoms, henna plucked near the vines at the fountain of the lamb. I will hold him and never let him part. So there's an experience there. Remember, we're going to be asking the Holy Spirit to help us experience this love of God with our interior senses. So like Lazarus' sister, Mary, who sat at his feet, who chose the better part, 
And if you've seen the new episodes of The Chosen, you have a pretty neat image of that. So you might imagine yourself just sitting at Jesus' feet or sitting on a blanket next to him or on the couch or going for a walk on the beach. Give yourself permission to go there if it feels comfortable. That Jesus enjoys that kind of intimate time with you. That it's, it's not a waste of time for him. And he doesn't want it to be a waste of time for you. He wants it to be renewing, refreshing. He wants it to be life-giving. Because listen to what he says here in verse 15. My darling, you are so lovely. You are beauty itself to me. Your passionate eyes are like gentle doves. My beloved one, both handsome and winsome, you are pleasing beyond words. Our resting place is anointed and flourishing, like a green forest meadow bathed in light. Resting place. Resting place. God wants to be your resting place. He doesn't want your time of prayer to be a labor. I mean, sometimes prayer is a battle, that's for sure. But he also wants your time of prayer to be a time and a place where you can rest, where he can give you rest. Verse 17, rafters of cedar branches are over our heads and balconies of pleasant smelling pines. Again, a reference here to the senses. Well, that's the end of chapter one. So ask the spirit to awaken your interior senses, your imagination, your heart, your conscience, your intuition, your imagination, your, your emotions. I think you'll be surprised how, how God will touch, how the Spirit will touch gently in all of those places. How He will reveal to you the goodness of God, the tenderness of God. And how he cares for you. 